Hello and welcome to the Smart Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Viola Levy, beauty journalist and founder of Smart Beauty Creative. Drawing on my own background working in the beauty industry, I chat to guests from some of the world's leading and disruptive beauty brands and organisations. We discuss how they built their brand's DNA, their own industry journey, any trends they may have noticed, as well as how to succeed in today's market, together with any other gems of wisdom they care to share. As a beauty journalist, I've known Linda Pilkington, founder of Ormond Jane, for over a decade. Nestled in Mayfair's Royal Arcade, the Ormond Jane Boutique offers some of the most unique concoctions on the planet, with ingredients sourced from all around the globe, worlds away from the many typical bland commercial scents on the market. Her perfumes echo an era of bygone glamour, when perfumes actually were perfumes, designed to be worn with a cocktail dress and many glittering jewels. They are also stocked in London's top department stores, such as Selfridges and Harrods, and she has previously collaborated with the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Knightsbridge. Ormond Woman is probably her bestseller, with enveloping notes of black hemlock underscored with rich jasmine and violet. But Tiare is my personal favourite, with its sparkling citrus and exotic floral notes, and a name that sounds like Tiara. And to be honest, when you spray it on, it does feel like you're wearing one. As a company founder and perfumer, a rare combination, Linda is memorable, punchy and charismatic as the perfume she creates. When lockdown hit, she instantly pivoted to online, hosting scent discovery sessions remotely with clients from all over the world. The brand has since gone from strength to strength, with many new and exciting scents added to the Ormond Jane Canon, as well as a personalization service which allows customers to dial up the intensity of their chosen fragrance, should they so wish. But for me, it's the fact that many of her staff, together with her lovely PR Sara, have stayed with her for years, is a testament to how lovely she is. Linda, it's a delight to have you on the podcast, and I look forward to delving into the DNA of Ormond Jane. Firstly, what did you love about perfume that you felt the contemporary commercial fragrance world just wasn't capturing? Hi, Viola. It's lovely to chat to you today. Um, Well, actually, from quite a young age, I loved exploring perfumes. And I always made a point, you know, when you go around the department stores when you're very young, looking at all the perfumes, I always used to look for something that was a little bit different because, you know, when I was young, like everybody else, you know, I was, you kind of were hoping to get your own style, you know, that, that mm. you'd find a style, you'd find like, you know, looking for the right haircut, the right clothes that make you look good, you know, and then you always wanted to be an individual like most people. And I had a good collection of perfumes, but the ones I really liked were slightly more off the beaten track because it wasn't really the fruity florals that was attracting me. I absolutely adored everything that was quite woody. I loved like Feminine Dubois by Shiseido. I loved Mitsuku. I loved the shippers, you know, like Dior Ling. So my taste was a little bit different. And also I kind of used it to show off a little bit. So when people would say, oh, that, what's a nice man? What is that? And, you know, I would I'd quite uh, get a, quite a lot of satisfaction by saying, well, actually, this perfume is called Dior Ling. You can't buy it um, outside Paris unless you're very lucky. There's a few bottles around. And I enjoyed that yeah. whole aspect of finding unusual perfumes, ones that smelled a little bit different, always seem to gravitate towards woody. But I think that's also got something to do with the fact that my favorite time of year is autumn. And I love autumn leaves and I love 
you know, those woody colours and golden colours is a preference for me. I also felt the same way also towards flavours because I had quite a good taste in unusual ingredients, which was more to do with like my mother's cooking. But, you know, you fragrance and flavours come together and unite beautifully and spectacularly. And I think that's what, that was my driving force. I wasn't thinking that the commercial fragrances weren't any good because I did love Diorella. I loved um, Joy. I loved or Sauvage. I love these perfumes and I did actually buy them and have them in my collection. But it was the slightly more unusual ones that I was very proud of and the ones that I used to consider like you know, proper treasure. And you say you preferred woody scents. You could say you were kind of wearing sort of unisex masculine scents before they were really a thing. Would you say that's true? I suppose that's possible. I mean, I love the smell of woods anyway. I loved walking in woods. I loved the smell of like the morning woods. So I think it was, you know, really my thing. I enjoyed that. And I, I didn't kind of associate it with it being slightly more masculine because quite often these perfumes do open up with floral notes as well. So it does have, you know, many facets to it. There was gender perfume, it's either for women or for men. And Femini de Bois was made for women, uh, Dioling, you know, Mitsuko. Well, I think that was really gender free. But in those days, we didn't know really anything about that. But they've all got fruity hearts and lovely bits of jasmine in it and other things that, you know, make, you know, round it off. But that's really my cup of tea, going towards those cedarwood, sandalwood. That is actually my favourite pot of perfumery. I love those notes too, and I'm a huge fan of Diorlings. Yeah, I've um, actually still got a bottle. I've got a full bottle on my dressing table, which um, I bought in Paris. You know, every so often I dab a little bit onto my wrist because it's a dab, um, and um, you know, and just remind myself how wonderful it is, and consider how you know when it was made, it's quite spectacular. I need to dig it out. Um, we've <laughs> spoken about the origins of Ormond Jane quite a few times, but for the benefit of people that don't know the story. What was your kind of moment when you decided to set up the brand? How did all that come about? Well, I started off really in um, as making scented candles and being a candle maker and room sprays. So my offer was really quite not ordinary. I mean, I had beautiful scents um, that I had created, like winter white flowers, and but it was all about finding something a little bit different to what was on the market but so often in my uh, life in my career everything really comes down to happenstance and just really through conversation chatting to people you know when this woman was telling me how much she liked tuberose and I was saying to her oh gosh you know it's such a love-hate perfume it's quite sickly sometimes when you have a bottle of tuberose it lingers in your nostrils for so long and she she wanted to to have a perfume like tuberose and of course I was thinking well you know there's got to be something else just as good just as fantastic and that was the opening that was kind of a bit of a eureka moment because it sort of set a little light bulb off in my mind saying this is this is exactly what I should be doing I should be looking for ingredients not widely used in the perfume industry I should find something if somebody said I like tuberose I could say well you should try this this is not tuberose but it's something just as heady something as magnificent and I knew it was a good idea because I felt extremely excited within and took myself off for two years looking for different ingredients like you know the Sampaquita 
which was the national flower of the Philippines, which was my take on the tuberose. I made loads of mistakes, costly mistakes as well, you know, where you, you go off, you know, with all the hopes and aspirations that you're going to come back with amazing ingredients and actually come back with nothing. But I got a top tip um, from somebody who, like you, you mentioned here, like Geza, he said to me, um, you can contact the um, fragrance houses and ask for speciality oils. And he said the thing about speciality oils is they don't make a lot of them. And so the big brands don't use them because it's not enough for them to go around the whole world. But a company your size could use a speciality. So I got in touch and I and these and these are the days when you had a fax machine. And I said, can you please send me your list of speciality oils? And out it came from my fax machine. Um, all these ingredients that really made me kind of go eureka um, because the first ingredient Amazing. that came out was black hemlock. That was it for me. I just thought, okay, this is it. I'm on it. I know exactly what's going to be happening. So the irony of being a smaller company is that you had access to the more interesting ingredients that the larger conglomerates didn't. Well, there is that. And also these smaller ingredients tend to be a lot more costly and you know, a commercial brand isn't looking for something that's going to cost them a huge of amount course. of money to make. At that point, I, I didn't mind. I actually thought the more expensive, the better, because nobody's going to want to copy it if they're going to think that's not viable. <laughs> so that's all right with that's me. That's a great strategy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there are so many creative risks that you can take as an independent that you just can't if you're a larger brand. So I think that's what really gives you the advantage. Yeah, for sure. And also being independent, privately owned, you know, you're not answerable to outside investors. So if you just think, oh, my goodness, that is so right. I mean, at one point, I did make a perfume that it was difficult to sell it because I, I didn't realize how much it was going to cost me at the end when I put it all together. And um, I just thought, OK, right, maybe I have to pay a little bit more attention, but I will just have to retail it. I can't wholesale it or, or distribute it. But, you know, you live and learn as you go along. And the branding is just so beautiful. When it comes to building a brand how did you go about that when you're thinking about okay what personality do I want my brand to have what language do I want to use was it a case of trial and error or did you sit down and really plan it through beforehand I didn't plan it through Almond Jane's my alter ego because I never wanted to have my name on a box or above a shop because I think it would just give me a little mini heart attack every day so I just thought to myself, I can actually create something beautiful. I love actually um, craftsmanship. I love making things. I love making things beautiful. It's been a very long journey, actually, Viola. It's, I mean, I've, I've been doing this now for 23 years and I'm still striving to improve. I'm still striving to find, you know, a better linen, a better shade of orange, something that's more recyclable or sustainable. So it's an ongoing journey all the time. Actually, I love it. I love it because each time we're coming to the end of one of our uh, components, I'm looking to see how we can improve it. Can we get a better version? Can we improve on the shade of gold? And I suppose you know, that's my personality. And the way Ormond Jane has developed is me, really. You know, for me, it, it, I like to sit down with a bottle of wine in front of the fire with lots of books and my paper and pen and I just start writing. Then I like to edit, edit, edit till it's really sharp. And then, you know, I read it back time. And then, you know, uh, then I you know, let my husband have a look at it and make sure the punctuation's in the right place. And then, you know, that's it. So 
I'm very much into making everything perfect. I'm into craftsmanship and manufacturing. As you know, we, we are still manufacturing our own products. Everything's done by hand. Even though the company's growing, I just employ more people um, so we can cope. And I, I suppose, like, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a long journey and it's still ongoing. And Jane's your middle name, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, exactly that. So my very first invoice uh, was to Chanel. They said to me, do you have a company? And I said, no. And they said, well, if you want to be paid, you have to have a company. Um, so I just went home, said to my husband, this is the situation. He said, okay, well, you're Linda Jane. You live at Ormond Terrace. You've turned our home into a little studio. Um, so why don't you call yourself Jane Ormond or Ormond Jane? And I was that'll do, that'll do. Yeah, okay, Ormond Jane. In hindsight, it's a bit long <laughs> so to no, get onto the front of a box. It has such a beautiful ring to it. It's Do you lovely. think? Oh, well, I'm very yeah, I'm, for sure. Uh, well, that actually makes me very happy that you say that. Um, there was a there was a point where I was thinking the Jane is feminine. Maybe I should ditch the Jane and just be Ormond. Um, but at that point, it was too late. We were already known to be as Ormond Jane. So, yeah, I think in another life, through experience of anybody ever asked me, you know, for um, advice, I would say um, pick a name that fits on the front of a bottle nicely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Jane's very British. I love that. And then Ormond yes. is slightly sort of exotic sounding, which combines the fact that you're a British brand. Then you yeah. use exotic ingredients. <laughs> Maybe I'm kind of overreaching, but that to me is what it conjures up. And uh, I think you'd get bored, wouldn't you? If you just created a brand and was come to the conclusion, well, that's it. I'm done now. I don't need to do anything to perfect it or there's nothing I could do to better it. It would just, you know, you would just lose interest. Um, I don't, I I just don't think it's ever possible to get to that point because the world changes, tastes change, life changes, new aspects of life and new technology come through and you've got to embrace it. And you can't stagnate. You can't be saying this is it. We know what we're doing and we're not changing. You have to go with the flow. You have to go with the modern world to stay up to date and to stay relevant. Because you used to work very closely alongside Gaze yeah, before becoming the perfumer yourself. So what made you decide to do that? Make the perfumes yourself as opposed to working alongside with Gazer. Well, I still work with Gazer occasionally, not as much as before. He lives, you know, we stay in touch. We're very good friends. I mean, I've I've got 23 years of experience now. I've learned a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm also working with lots of different companies as well, because now that I'm a little bit more known, people approach me, companies approach me and ask me, you know, what can they do to help? They can offer me this and that and the other. And I, it's always, it's great because, you know, different fragrance houses have, are good for different oils. So like Expressions de Parfumé in Grasse have some excellent oils. And I love working with them because they're not actually a family-owned company anymore, but they were, but not anymore. Just recently they sold, but the company DNA has stayed the same. I've got a great relationship with them. I can go up there. I can do olfactory training with them. They always welcome me with, you know, with immense kindness. There's lots of perfumers there. I can sit down with them and talk about an idea and the philosophy behind it and how I expect it to smell and what type of ingredients I want to use. I mean, our palate is our palate and it will never change. Um, and, and they know my palate. Also, the perfume world's changed a lot recently because we've got all these IFRA rules and regulations. So 20 odd years ago, I could sit with Gazer in his sitting room 
smelling oils and saying, do you think we can add a bit of pink pepper to that formula as a top note? He'd say, yeah, yeah, of course, that would definitely work. And then he would give me a little bottle and I would take it to my studio, put it in alcohol, filter it, put it in a bottle and take it to my shop the next day. You can't do that now. It's totally illegal. But it says the whole dynamics of bringing a perfume to the market have changed. Those days of sitting in the pub with Geza and chatting, um, <laughs> they're not totally over. It's just changed and you have to adhere to the rules and regulations. So that's how it is today. And I guess it's more of a challenge creatively when you're more restricted I suppose it's not necessarily a disadvantage. It just means you have to use your creativity in a different way to get around those restrictions. Well, you'd be surprised, actually, uh, because, well, first of all, you, you get plenty of warning from IFRA, like you get two to three years in advance what is coming up. So it, it's forewarning you, you know, don't use these ingredients or use them in limited um, editions. Today, uh, when you are you know, writing down the ingredients, taking down the oils and bringing together a perfume, you have to send it off to be tested um, to make sure that it's within the rules and regulations of all the allergens. And, you know, invariably, in my case, it's not. Um, so it has. To, so then I get recommendations by then. They'll say, OK, our perfumers want to change this, this, this accord. And we're going to use this and it will be very similar. It'll be a similar accord, but it's within IFRA rules. So this is very different to how things used to be in the past. And that's just how it is. It's the reality of, of it all. You know, and then you've got to have all your, everything's got to be tested. You've got to have the right paperwork. You've got to upload it onto the portals um, in the UK and Europe. Our business is audited. Um, so everything that we say that we're doing and where the ingredients come from are tested and to make sure, you know, it, it's the truth. So that we have a, that the providence and everything we say is true. It's completely different to the past. And it's different for the good, actually. It's for the, for the better. And I love the way you said how, in the past, you and Geza have such different approaches. He's very minimalist, oh, yeah. very precise, whereas you're kind of a bit more, more is more. You like, the, you know, the devil's in the detail. You oh, like completely. The kind of... And then getting onto the bottles, I really love the the bottles that you use. Um, they're just really beautiful and timeless. How did how did the concept for those come about? I've always been a little bit obsessed with numerology. And for me, it was all about eight, the eight-sided bottle, the eight-sided overcap. In our boutique, we've got an eight-sided um, overlamp, which, you know, for me represents like eternity, uh, prosperity. It's good feng shui. Um, so and it marries through to the diffuser. So for me, it's all about eight-sided, eight. Eight is my number. Like I said, like, you know, I'm always wanting to improve. So we've just come across a new manufacturer who can put in a lot more crystal and a lot more lead into our bottle to make it more uh, fine and more clear. And he has a polishing surface, so he can actually polish up these eight sides and make them very sharp. So for me, like, you know, after everything I've just told you, it's like, oh, why not? And then, of course, you know, the profits and loss say, why not? That's You're doubling the price of the perfume bottle. <laughs> and I go, well, you're going to get a much better bottle. It's going to be better made. It's got more <laughs> lead in it. It's got a sharp, beautiful side. Exactly. It's got a, and it's yeah. got a look how look at the bottom, how sharp it is. So I like that. So this is what I'm going to do. So For that's sure, and me. it's like your whole brand ethos is that cost isn't, you know, a barrier to what no. you want to create. So why should the bottles be any different? No, of course not. If you're selling something, a lot, if you do, if it's a labour of love, and you're, you know, you're really putting a lot of thought into it and making sure that nothing goes to market unless it's absolute 
affection. I mean, this is what you want to do, isn't it? For sure. And I love that the bottles are more portable than many perfumes, because I think a lot of us don't have the time to just sit at a dressing table and luxuriously douse ourselves in perfume before we go. Most of us are running around. And for me, it's handy to have the bottle in my handbag that I can just apply it on the go. No, I was going to say, I've got some more good news, because um, I've just also sourced a beautiful new um, travel spray, which the glass is better as well. It's heavier it's more robust it feels beautiful in the hand so I'm launching that in September so it's the same as before but it's just better glass and when you see it you're going to die you'll love it oh I'm sure I love a travel spray yeah no but um, you'll see the difference and then you'll realize and everybody will realize why I, why I was right they should be beautiful because I think a lot of these travel atomizers it's like a little it looks like a pen or something yeah. like that and it just doesn't look nice when you take it out of a handbag like it's just nice to sort of produce something that's really oh, yeah. beautiful got yeah. a really beautiful yeah. scented side because I think a lot of us now wear scent to feel good not just to smell good so you like you'll take it out your handbag right. and just put it on after you've emerged from the tube station feeling a bit frazzled having been like <laughs> elbowed on the Piccadilly line yeah um, do you think a lot, of the, a lot of us are wearing perfume today um for different reasons than perhaps um our grandmothers were oh absolutely I mean you know a long long time ago obviously you were wearing perfume to cover up bad smells and bad odors And of course, today it's all about something entirely different. And especially in today's world, it's all about how it makes you feel or what it can do for you. And I think that's quite important because um, at the moment, you know, when people come into the boutique, they say to me, you know, I wear this perfume because it makes me feel. And then they tell me, you know, how they feel when they wear Champaka or how they feel when they wear Taif. And that's great for me. I think it's very different today as it was you know 20 30 years ago when it was like you said at the very beginning when you introduced me about you know about going out and putting on your perfume and your finery and your jewels and your cocktail dress it is about that today but it's even more it's how you you know I'm finishing off my look and this is and this perfume is going to make me feel great we do wear perfumes today for many many different reasons and one of them is is really about how they make us feel which in the past I don't think I don't think that was really uh, what it was all about. No, I mean, it's so transformative. You become almost a different character. Like when I wear something like Ormond Woman, I just feel like I've just taken on this persona of this yeah. very kind of glamorous, like grand dame yeah. or something like that. And do you think that the idea of wearing perfume is something that attracts a partner? Do you think that's still relevant to today's market or do you think people have moved away from that? I've got some beautiful stories from our clients that come back and tell me how they met their partner when they were wearing the perfume or how it did attract their partner. But I think in today's world, like if we're going to be very modern, man and woman, I think we're far more powered. You know, men are men are wearing rose-scented perfumes. Women, it's all gender-free. Isn't it? It's like I want to be attractive. I want to smell great. I want to look yeah. great, the best I can be. And I suppose thereafter, it has the knock-on effect. But especially in, in, in England, we live in such a, a free society where we can be anything we want to be. And I suppose slightly, you know, it's to attract the opposite. It sounds a little bit old-fashioned in today's world, but it probably does have that effect anyway. I just know when I get all the feedback from, from different people. But I think the sense of smell is today considered a lot more relevant and precious than it was in the past also maybe even thanks to covid when when people were losing their sense of smell they suddenly realized how important it was for them and we learned an awful lot more 
about our sense of smell and a better understanding today than ever before. Without that sense of smell, you know, when people had COVID, it deprived us of so many beautiful aspects of life and even perhaps emotions. So I think the market today has changed because we're more educated and we're more free. If a man wants to wear a rose and a floral perfume, or if a woman wants to wear something really like sort of quite masculine, it doesn't matter. You can wear what you want. You can be who you want to be. And if it happens to attract somebody of the opposite sex, that's a little bit of a bonus point, I think. Yes, for sure. All the same sex. Um, and it's interesting what you were saying about how we learned so much over COVID about how complex our sense of smell is and how much you know we rely on it without even realising. So with that in mind, it's just a shame to sort of think about how stagnant the perfume world can be sometimes when you compare it to other categories like makeup and skincare yeah. you know the world of perfumery just seems to be lingering behind um, a lot of the time well it is actually you know when you when you look into all this skincare technology and all it for sure uh, has a lot more investment and in technology behind it but at the same time um, in the perfume world we're constantly updating uh, with new molecules, um, with how we can actually capture the scent from headspace and aspects like that. So it hasn't moved on as fast as skincare, but you know, perfumes like I have, like Shampaka, that's got the basmati rice notes. This is all coming through fantastic technology, um, you know, where they're putting the rice into a box and extracting that smell and then analyzing it and recreating it and putting it into perfumes and, and actually for it to work so beautifully well it's constantly updating the molecules and also i suppose now there is a scientific aspect of perfumery that we haven't completely tapped into which goes back to what we were saying before how does it make us feel so at the moment we've got clients telling me when i wear your perfume it reminds me of this i love it and it makes me feel so joyful and but I suppose we can take that a few steps further and think, how, does, how is it actually affecting us? Does it really have a very positive hormone release, maybe, um, that can make us feel better in a physical way? I think there's a lot to tap into that hasn't quite taken off yet. But I think we will go down that road of how does it actually affect our brains that could be something you know that, that that people can be looking into and checking out at the neuroscience part of it all because even now they're talking about you know how your building affects you like your, you you make your home and then afterwards your home shapes you into how you live and how you feel and i suppose that can you know you can follow that through that technology that neuroscience and say well if these clothes make me feel young and sassy then my brain must be making me feel young and sassy. And if, 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 if my home decoration, then obviously if my perfume is, is making me feel this, there might be some sort of neurological happening going on within. So maybe that's something we can look into. And I think people are with the constant overlap, increasing overlap of aromatherapy and perfumery and people using yes. more essential oils and tapping into the properties that they have. I think we're definitely moving that way yes yes um, and how do you think that perfume or beauty businesses in general have changed since lockdown because I mentioned at the beginning that you were very quick to pivot online consultations and hosting scent discovery events do you think that 
businesses um, have changed accordingly as a result of, of doing things like that? Well, like at the beginning, you mentioned my wonderful friend, Sarah. She was the one that you know, said to me, Look, we're all in lockdown, but you know, you can't just disappear um, into, into a different world. So she said, like, you've got to get yourself up on Zoom and you've got to get yourself in touch with all your clients around the world and you're everybody at all these different time zones and you can do this. And it was great. Um, I am the least technical person in the whole world. I mean, even today, this podcast was giving me a nervous breakdown. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we learned something from that. We learned that we can actually tap into the whole world and we can be talking to Manchester in the morning and Malaysia in, in the afternoon and, you know, just have all these different channels coming in at us that are all a, a new aspect. We're facing new challenges all the time, you know, especially when you're a, a small independent perfume house and privately owned. We're still privately owned. We're still manufacturing ourselves. It's all hand poured. We've got 44 members of staff, but the world changes so fast. Technology changes fast. Um, so we do have new challenges to face and we just have to take it head on. We were talking like we were launching Sakura, the cherry blossom perfume. And there was a number of other launches at the time where they're doing something so much bigger and grander. And they've got these massive budgets and celebrities coming to the store where it's just obviously in the niche perfume world, you're, you're investing all the money into a mighty fine bottle, into mighty fine expensive ingredients and most of our clients even though we've got a lot of clients and we are commercially successful most of it's come through word of mouth I was sitting next to somebody at a dinner party they smelled amazing they said it's called Ormon Woman and can I have a sample so we are still we grow our company in a very very different way to how a commercial brand would grow unless I took on big investors but I just don't think that's on the cards for the moment because I'm I'm having such a lovely time doing what I'm doing. So the challenges are are there to be conquered, move on in our own style and do it our own way. We're very agile as well because it's just me and I have my right-hand man, Scott, I've got Sarah. When there's something new on the market or we've got to change quickly, uh, whether it's sustainability or, or it's a lockdown, we can react extremely fast. Sarah had me on, on Zoom morning, day and night, like practically after you know, day four of lockdown and there's no no peace for the wicked and I think really all this technology has been a revelation for the company I would never ever have thought about contacting uh, all my clients in such a way if I hadn't been forced to I mean it existed it existed but it never crossed my mind to use it in such a way and I guess you don't really follow market trends in the same way as bigger brands do when it comes to new launches like with Secura for example it's interesting, actually, because um, I don't follow market trends because I wouldn't even know where to find them. I follow how I feel and what I think is the right thing to do next. Quite often, for whatever reason, I have no idea. It turns out to be spot on. And then people say to me, you know, did you know this was going to be a trend? I say, no, I didn't. And it's not that I'm a trendsetter, but I think I've got an instinct or I'm in touch with some sort of zeitgeist or I've been influenced by society around me and not realizing it and I take it home and I'm I want to do something new you know when we launched Sakura the cherry blossom we weren't the only ones we were the first ones this year but we weren't the only ones to launch it so then people said how did you know it was going to be like you know a hot new perfume and of course you you don't I don't follow trends but somehow trends seem to penetrate my brain somehow 
I think it might be all around me and it absorbs and then yeah. I, it, it just comes out and um, it's there. It's because, you know, I'm in Mayfair, I'm in, I'm in London, you see everything happening all around you. And while you might not say, ooh, I love that, you know, I should make a perfume like that, you don't because you're so busy in your mind thinking, just going through your checklist, where am I supposed <laughs> to be tomorrow and everything. But I think it does penetrate and I think your mind does absorb a huge amount more than we realize. And I suppose that's the beauty of like advertising, isn't it? When people, the power of advertising, the cleverness of it all, how they, they can get you to to want to buy something that you didn't even realize you wanted or needed. Because um, we're absorbing culture and trends all the time. Yes, so everything yes. you produce is going to be a reflection of that, whether intentional or not. What's on the cards for mm. Hormone Jane in the future? Or what are you allowed to reveal about what you've got coming up? <laughs> well, the near future, I've upgraded all my glass more lead, more crystal, polished, everything, all, all the glass edges are going to be polished. I'm doing a lot of traveling um, to go around the world now that everything's open. So I'm looking forward to going back into Hong Kong and all these places that we couldn't go for, for such a long time because of their restrictions. It's going to be good to sort of reflect on the brand and take some time out and look at it and say, okay, are we doing everything we can? Are we doing the best we can at all levels? And taking that time to, to regroup and say, okay, this is the road I want to take it down. Um, I'm still, I'm, I'm now back into my traveling for two reasons. One, the restrictions are lifted. Two, my children are a lot older, so they can get their own tea. So um, this has allowed me to get back on the road and explore. I'm going to Thailand in a couple of weeks' time. That's where you've got all the oud traders in the street behind locked doors. But it's just a small road in the middle of Bangkok where all the Middle Eastern men go and trade the oud. I'm going to go and do that again because I haven't been there for about 18 years. So I'm very excited about that. Thanks so much for chatting with me, Linda. It's been an absolute joy as always. Yes, and thank you. And I look forward to finding out what else you've got coming up on the horizon. And thank you. see you very soon. Thanks a lot. Take care of yourself. I hope you enjoyed that episode. All links will be in the show notes. And feel free to visit smartbeauty.com or visit us on Instagram to find out more about what we do. And if you enjoyed listening, please don't forget to rate and review Smart Beauty on iTunes as it helps other people find us. See you next time.